Some of you that I'm friends with on Facebook are uh, a little bit surprised to see me here or maybe a little bit shocked and disappointed to see me here. I kind of get that sense. Hey, how's it going? Oh, hey, Toby, how's it going? Uh, (laughs) I did uh, get hit pretty hard with something on Friday and uh, spent most of uh, Friday and Saturday recovering, and I assure you I'm feeling 100%, but I know there are those of you who are still treating me as a leper, and I understand that. If this will help you in my preaching this morning, I'll just kind of do that, kind of get things. Pretty much what my wife did the last two days, kept me quarantined in the bedroom, and uh, but I'm back to 100%, and I appreciate your, uh, your uh, patience with me, and if you don't want to shake my hand this morning, that's okay, it's between you and Jesus. Um, you know, you just kind of work on that. Merry Christmas. And think about those two words. You hear it a lot around this season. A lot of people say it. Sometimes there's a little bit of controversy of whether you say it or whether you don't. I wonder about that. For how many people is it truly Merry you see, it's not Christmas that I think is the controversial word. I think it's the word Mary. When you acknowledge it or not, sometimes it's a hard, hard season. I had a friend on Facebook who was saying that uh, so many people are saying how quickly the year is coming to an end, to which she said, I, I cannot be thankful enough that it's coming to an end. Her exact words, 2019 can go kick rocks. It was just a terrible, bad year. If you're struggling with your health, if you've lost someone precious to you, the holidays are a hard time. Christmas isn't quite so merry. There is a a strange phenomenon, the number of people that die, the number of people that take their own life during this season, goes up at what would seem to be the the happiest point of the year. But the brightness, for some, only serves to magnify the darkness. In the season itself, the, the, the season is marked by two striking visuals. The first is the ever-growing darkness. Consider that in seven days, six days rather, next Saturday will be the darkest day of the year, winter solstice, the shortest amount of daylight in the year. We are at that time of year where usually when I leave the house, it's dark, And by the time I'm leaving the office, it's dark. From dark to dark. Uh, That lack of daylight has an effect on us, I think. Human beings have a strange connection, a strange interaction with darkness. It affects our mood. The lack of light has an adverse effect on us at times. But the second visual is this, this very... Interesting, unique time of the year when the lights go up. As the days get shorter, we see a noticeable increase 
in lights, lights that are atypical. How many of you, by show of hands, have Christmas lights anywhere on your house, inside or out? The light. How many of you have yet been to see the lights at Botanica? Okay. Anybody who have been down to Candy Cane Lane? I expect the clothiers to have their hands up. Or lights on St. Paul. Even the blessed Chick-fil-A has lights up around on the top of their buildings. It's a beautiful thing. But it's interesting when you think about it. At the darkest point of the year, there is this focus, this fixation on the lights that we don't normally see. And those are the two things we're actually going to talk about as we think about darkness and light. Today we are specifically talking about the light. And about how that light, not these lights, but the light from God was his greatest gift to us. As we think about this uh, series called The Gift. This series has been the story of God redeeming you and I, not through works of our own, but through his vigilant pursuit of us. And so far we've learned several things. We've talked about the the gift, first of all, the idea that God had a plan. That, that all of this happened, uh, the, the, the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus, that wasn't an accidental thing. That God, from the moment our sin entered the world, had a plan. The, the, the plan was that Jesus would become a man, that Jesus, who was God, who was with God in the beginning as spirit, came, manifest himself in human form. We call that the incarnation. God with us. Jesus our Emmanuel. The, the, the idea of Emmanuel is God with us. See, you and I can't relate to a spiritual, perfect, righteous, holy God. So God came down to our level. Eyeball to eyeball, kneecap to kneecap. When Jesus became a man, that's what redemption was about as part of God's holy plan. The, the third gift was that everyone counts. In, in the story of Luke, we get this idea of the census and how important it was for them to count everyone. But the story of the gospel is that everyone matters. Is sometimes we feel like maybe God is only for the religious. Maybe God is only for those spiritual. Maybe God is only for the perfect and for those who have it all together. But if you're thinking that this morning, let me reassure you that God could not only be for those people because if he's only for those people, he could be for no one. God wanted everyone to count. And the scriptures say all fall short of the glory of God. We all need him and that everyone matters to him. Finally, the gift that we need not fear, we not have human fear of God, but rather we can have holy, righteous, reverent fear of God that leads us to simply trust and to obey him. As we think through all of this, we talked about last week that God is for you, that he wants you. You may feel like God is against you, that, that you and God are a, a long ways away. Maybe it's been months or years since you and God have had a heart-to-heart. But you need to know that, that God... God hasn't given up on you. And regardless of how long it's been 
it's never too late to return to God. He wants you to be saved. God is for us. If God is for us, who can be against us, the scriptures say? You see, the real problem in our world is not a new one. Our problem, you see, is the darkness. And, and, and this is not the absence of light we're talking about. We're talking about a, a, not an external darkness, but a deeper, unquantifiable, internal darkness. The Bible names this darkness sin. And we've all got it. We all have sinned. We've all, whether it's tiny or big or whether it's measurable or not, we all have it. And it's more than just what you do. It's deeper than that. It's, it's a heart issue. Jesus would say this in Matthew chapter 5. If you're following, um, Matthew chapter 15, excuse me. If you're following along in the Pew Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 15. And going to be about verse 19. Page 1053. Page 1053, if you don't know where Matthew 15, 19, or you can just look at the screen, but I'll read the verse in context. You see, the, the, the Pharisees, the religious people of the day, they were, they were criticizing Jesus because he wasn't doing the right things outwardly. And he wasn't even washing his hands in the right way. And he said to them, Verse 18 of Matthew 15. What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. You see, that's a harder problem to deal with because on the outside, in the external behaviors, I can sort of clean that up. Or at least for a time, while I'm in a crowd, while it's noticeable, I can clean up the outside. But Jesus says the outside is really only a manifestation of what's inside. And what's inside is the deeper problem. For out of the heart come evil thoughts. You ever have an evil thought? Oh, I have. What? preacher? Oh yeah. You see, see what Jesus said is, is true. We all have a heart problem. Out of the heart comes murder. I've never come close to murder outwardly, but I'm probably a serial killer in my heart. Out of the Heart comes evil thoughts and murder and adultery and sexual immorality. Uh, adultery and sexual immorality is something that you can do, Jesus says, without ever getting close to the act. That you can commit sexual immorality with a woman from across the room in your heart. Jesus gets right to it, doesn't he? I mean, he gets right to, see, sometimes say, well, preacher, you stepped on my toes today. Hey, listen, Jesus is stepping not just on our toes, he's stepping on our hearts. He's trying to identify within us this fundamental, basic problem of darkness. And not the outer darkness, the inner darkness that is the problem. You see, our world would say that you and I are basically, all in all, all summed up, 
you know, for better or for worse, we're basically all good people, and Jesus would totally, vehemently disagree. We are not good. Not by God's standard of good. Oh, and we lower our standard of good to, to the level at which we can just barely step over the bar. But God's standard of good is so high, and so that none of us, according to his standard, are good. You are not. I'm not. No one is. So when I say, we've all fallen short, you all should say, oh yeah. We've all fallen short. Not only are you not good, but there's even part of you that enjoys being bad. Ever, I saw this advertisement from a certain fast food company. You ever see this billboard from a certain restaurant? If you're going to be bad, it better be this good. That's, that's, some, that's some good marketing, right? I mean, if you're going to blow the diet, just stop on by a Freddy's. Get the extra large fries. Uh, get the triple burger. Uh, get the uh, get the get the uh, Sunday and the the concrete. You know, just go ahead and lump it all together. You might as well, if you're going to go overboard, go overboard. That's a, that's a more lighthearted thing, but it, it conveys a deeper truth, and that is that you and I. We all face this battle. Whether we want to acknowledge it, admit it or not, we all face the battle. The battle of the heart. The battle going on within. Paul put the struggle this way in Romans chapter 7. And if you're following along, I hope that you are. Romans chapter 7 is where you'd like to go. Page 1,210. 1,210. If you don't know where Romans is, Romans chapter 7. Paul, the apostle. Okay, we might think of Paul as way up here. Paul wrote, having written most of the New Testament. Paul, a Pharisee, righteous, legal, a Hebrew of Hebrews, trained under Gamaliel, smart guy, knew the scriptures. Here's what he said about his own battle. Romans chapter 7, verse 15 and following. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. You ever been there? You ever been there right with Paul? You, you, you don't do the thing you should do, and the thing you do not want, that's you, you do that very thing? Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer, and this is important, I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know, coming back to Jesus' point here, that nothing good dwells in me. That is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. You ever been there? You ever have the desire, the knowledge, 
the know-how, the intention to do what is right. But when it comes right down to it, you revert right back into old ways and old habits and not doing what God said to do. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. You see, it's really summed up like this. The world is a dark place. And the darkness is caused by all of us. The world is not somewhere out there. The world, as Paul would call it, is in here. It's a battle of darkness and light. Not only are we not basically good people, we can't even fix our bad. I I like to think about it a lot like my high school wrestling career. Uh, My high school wrestling career, I remember it vividly because it was just one year long. I would go from Mulvane grade school, or Mulvane uh, junior high rather, over to about two blocks down to what used to be, I believe, the old grade school, or at least the gym of the old grade school. And I can still remember it was cold, it would get dark early, it was sort of this season of the year, I'd go down, I'd be in my sweats, I had my bag over my shoulder, usually breathing out a vapor, you know, just uh, not, never mind, uh, just... Just breathing out the the air from my lungs and pull open that solid metal door and walk into a gym that smelled like sweat. I mean, just from one end to the other. And in that gym were a bunch of men who were basically trained warriors. They were the Mulvane wrestling team. And they, they at that time had quite a reputation. And my dad had wrestled in high school, and I thought, that would be cool. I would like to try that. I'd like to do that. But, but see, at the level I came in as a freshman, I just was... Uh, these guys had been basically training as wrestlers uh, from, from the hospital. I mean, they, they, they were kind of working there at that point. They had been training their whole lives. And I was thrown into the mix, and I, I was doing my best. And I was trying to rehearse the moves and, and trying to stay low and keep tight and, and just and do the drills and do the exercises. I, I made sure I made weight, and I, I would line up with them and get on the scales, and I practiced my moves and rehearsed them. I went to practice after practice, week after week. You know, I tasted so much of that wrestling mat. It's like a, it's like a part of my palate I cannot forget. And yet still, no matter how many times I practiced, no matter how many times I rehearsed the moves, every, every tournament was the same result. Now, now, just for absolute clarity, so you're sure as to which one of those was me, my freshman year of high school, I became very, very good about counting lights and number of panels in the ceiling. I did a lot of staring up that season. It was a battle that I could not... I, I was going against people who were out-trained, who were better in better, better physical condition. They had out-practiced me. They, they had more time on the mat than me. And so every single time, man, I, just, 
I tasted that mat. I, 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 I was wound up in, in an armpit far more many times than I'd like to recall. I was put in, in moves where I literally could not move my body. And I remember at the end of that season, telling the coach, he's, I said, you know, I, I just, I don't have it. I just don't have what it takes. And I'll never forget what he said. He said, you have it, Levering. You just haven't had enough time. He said, I want to encourage you, don't give up. If you hang in there, you'll get it. You'll become victorious. Don't give up on you. I didn't take his advice. I, I wish I had. Because there is something about when you get to a point in life when you've battled so long and so hard, and there's something within your spirit that breaks. And I think God, much like my wife's high school wrestling coach, would get right up eyeball to eyeball and say, don't give up. You have what it takes. Don't give up on you. And if you're here this morning and you think, man, I'm, I'm pretty tired of being pinned by life. I'm tell you, God's still for you. In fact, the reason I know that he's for you is because of the remedy that he sent for the darkness. The only remedy for darkness, as we know, is light. Not from ourselves, not by trying to do enough good, but not by going to church enough times, not by reading my Bible as many times as possible, not by taking of the Lord's Supper as often as possible, not by giving as much as I can. Those are all good things, but those will never achieve for us the remedy that we need of the darkness that's within. Turn with me quickly, Matthew chapter 4. If you're following along, Matthew chapter 4, 15 and 16, page 10,000, uh, 10, page 1,038. Matthew 4, 15 and 16. The land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. Verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and the shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. Maybe your, maybe your year has been pretty dark. Maybe it hasn't been this just this season. Maybe it's been the whole year. There's good news. There's a great light. Maybe you've been living in the valley of the shadow of death. I have good news. On you, a light has dawned. The book of Luke goes on to spell it out. And by the way, if you haven't joined us this year on Sunday nights, I invite you to do so at 6 o'clock. Luke chapter 1, verse 78 and 79 is part of his account, page 1099. Luke writes this, Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, 
to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. You can have light. You can see the way. You can have peace. But all of that comes not from within here. It comes from someone greater who gave you the light. Our only hope is light. Not external light, not internal light, but the eternal light of Jesus. The light is Him. The very first thing that God said in the Bible, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, the very first thing that He said, I don't even really have to turn there. What was the very first thing that God said? Four words. Let's try that again. Isn't that interesting? That when God saw, as Genesis describes, verse 2, that the earth was without form and void and Darkness was over the face of the, of the deep. God, in his infinite wisdom, the first four spoken words we hear from him are an eternal prophecy about the one who's to come. Light coming in to darkness. Not light coming out of darkness, but light coming into darkness. Heaven's true light, you see, has always been earth's Greatest need. I love the song that goes, Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal. You see, with Jesus, with God, with Jesus, God didn't just speak the light. He sent the light. And that's important to understand. He sent him for a reason, for us. John, the book of John that James read this earlier, John chapter 1, in him was life. And that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. You see, we understand that the light is not from us, but the light is absolutely for us. For each and every person, we all need the light. All of us living in darkness, in a dark world, with darkened hearts, need the light of Jesus. You see, you and I, we are not good, but he is 100%. And he didn't give up on you and I living in the darkness. John chapter 1, again, verses 9 and 10. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the, though the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. You see, our world is so dark that sometimes we don't even recognize the light. May we not forget that though the light is not from us, the light is for us. Now this morning, that leaves us with three basic decisions to make. Number one, we can savor and sit in the darkness. John chapter 3 verse 19, this is the judgment that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. And there are some people that know, that hear about the light of Christ, and, and they just don't want any of the light because they love the darkness rather than the light. 
And I would encourage you not to live that way and, and certainly not to stay that way because the darkness is a hard, hard place to live. It'll chew you up and spit you out. But that's your choice. May we not sit and savor in the darkness. The second choice is that we can seek the light. John chapter 12, verse 46, Jesus said, I've come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. You see, you might be in darkness this morning, but the good news is you don't have to stay there. You don't have to remain there. You may have had dark days behind you, but those days in front of you can change 180 degrees. Jesus puts that choice in your hands. Will you remain there or will you seek the light? And the third choice is to shine the light. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. You see, if you're living in the light, if you're seeking the light, you should be walking in the light. Why? Not that they may see you and glorify you. It has nothing to do with you. But that they may see your light, as Jesus said, and glorify God who is in heaven. May you light up brighter than any Christmas display this season. May your light shine, life shine in such a way that it puts all those light displays to shame. And if, you, if someone sees you, understand, that's, that's not because they're impressed with you. They're impressed with something that didn't come from you. Something that's greater than you. Something that's brighter than you. So that's the question. You're going to sit and savor in the darkness? You're going to seek the light? And are you going to shine the light and share the light? Well, that choice is in your hands. I told you I've been sick the past couple of days. When you are sick in the Levering household, we have a tradition. Uh, when you receive this at your bedside, that means uh, we've diagnosed you. Uh, you have been quarantined, and uh, Grace will bring in little Lammy. I'm not exactly sure where or how that started, but anytime you're sick, here comes Lammy until you're all better. And then Lammy gets doused in Lysol and thrown in the washer and awaited till the next appointed time. And I was thinking about that this morning. Because all of us, in a spiritual sense, are sick. And all of us are in great need of the Lamb of God. May we acknowledge our sickness. May we acknowledge our need. May we seek the Lamb with all that we have. Because what we need most is the Lamb. More than anything. Because we're sick in ways that we cannot heal. May we not forget our need of the light and of the Lamb. And this morning, I ask you, if you are savoring and sitting in darkness, 
If you've been through a dark year and some dark times and, and you would just need our prayers, if you need to repent in a public way, if you need to seek the light of Christ, put him on in baptism, begin walking in the light, that, that opportunity is right now, right here. You say, there's all sorts of reasons why I don't. There's all sorts of reasons why I couldn't. But I would encourage you, take a step forward this morning. Step up and step out in faith. Walk out of the darkness and into the light. Meet me and one of our shepherds here at the front row. We'll be glad to pray with you. We'll be glad to pray for you. We'll be glad to baptize you into Christ. We'll be glad to do anything we can to help you and encourage you, not just to seek the light, but to stay in the light. This morning, if you have a spiritual need, won't you join us at the front as together we stand and sing.